truly an honor to be able to spend this today with you in this truly meaningful, special way. My name is Nicole Dixon, and I head up the Institute for Creative Conversation in Benoni. As I was preparing for today, it took me back on a journey of a couple of years ago when I lost my dad. He spent the last couple of years of his life being cared for in a hospice in England. I was already grieving across the ocean here in South Africa, waiting for that dreaded call and making regular contact with both my sister and my dad's hospice nurse. However, nothing prepared me for the depth of loss and sadness I experienced when that dreaded phone call finally happened. My family and I will always be truly grateful to the hospice nurse who sat quietly holding his hand in the final moments of his life when we couldn't. Now, like me, you may have heard of the more conventional psychological model of grief, which often assumes the end of a relationship and encourages us in some way to think of grief as quite a linear process involving five, although now I'm told it's about seven stages of grief. Namely, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. But what does that even mean when you're caught in the grips of grief? He's no longer in pain, they said. But does that mean he never lived? Move on with your life, they said. It's unhealthy to hold on. Release him, they said. He's gone to a better place. But how could I do that when such an integral part of my DNA was missing? Sometimes a pres prescriptive list of tasks, of things to do, may be offered to you to help you through the grief. And whilst it may indeed be helpful, does that mean that once the to-do list is done, the grieving should be over? And what if I can't complete the list? Does that mean there's something wrong with me? As we know, Western society traditionally suggests that the completion of the mourning process requires that those left behind develop a new reality which no longer includes what has been lost. But then I had an awareness that as helpful as the cycle of grief and the to-do lists might be, everything about this seems to focus on me and not on the one that I've lost, especially not on the relationship that we shared. I practice as a narrative therapist, and I've been profoundly grateful for this lens through which to experience my own loss and grief journey. You see, a narrative therapy approach to grief acknowledges that relationships between the living and the lost can continue. In other words, a person who has passed away does not cease to have influence on their loved ones, nor does the person stop mattering simply because they're no longer present in the physical world. 
When grief psychology models of the past hundred years insist on letting go, moving on, and acknowledging the loss, there seems to be limited options for people to form an ongoing bond in response to grief. In recent years, there has been a small shift towards holding onto memories of the lived relationship. And I guess a service of remembrance like this one is one such way to do that. In the presence of loving, kind relationships, death does not cancel love. Living people continue to love and relate to the deceased person in their mind, in their thoughts, in their feelings, and in their actions. The relationship does not, in fact, come to an end. So I will simply offer you a couple of thoughts, which I hope may resonate with you as they did for me. Firstly, the importance of remembering. And I say that as re-membering. Death does not cancel out the importance of a person's life. In 1978, anthropologist Barbara Meyerhoff offered us the notion that remembering is a special type of recollection that establishes the members of a person's life. In this way, remembering brings to life the stories, the dreams and hopes of those who have passed away. In this way, remembering stories live on after death because stories flow between people. Stories are always lived in relationship. In this way, membership of a person's life belongs to the group of people who hold the particular stories and memories of time spent with the lost loved one. This includes the responsibilities of tending those stories. A life, then, is not envisaged as belonging to the individual who has lived it, but is regarded as belonging to the world, to progeny who are heirs to the embodied traditions or to God. The second thought I would like to offer is called the origami of remembering. Have you ever indulged in the folding and creating of origami? I have, but not always very well. Lorraine Hedger, a narrative therapist from the States who informs my practice of holding grief, says, I like to think of each person's life as having the posthumous potential to become an elaborate, folded work of art. Imagine with me for a moment. Each time I share or retell a story about my dad's life, it is as if his stories are being folded into seams and creases that give contour and texture to the life of the living. The metaphor of an origami helps me to fold and refold the stories of my dad's life 
and how they continue to be linked to both mine and my children's lives. As events and experiences are remembered, each conversation becomes a new fold with added layers of meaning. But perhaps I can invite you to try some folding, increasing, and layering of your own. In essence, both of the above thoughts are inviting us to learn to say hello again. Saying hello again challenges the metaphors about saying goodbye to a deceased loved one. Michael White, the founder of Narrative Therapy, uses stories and meanings as tools to bridge the living and the deceased. And we're not talking about seances here. The concept of saying hello again to a lost loved one can really transform the experience of grief. It can also assist us to see how we are carrying on the legacies of those we have lost. It invites us to reimagine conversations and relationships with our lost loved ones. Consider for a moment how you might answer a question like this one. If your loved one could be with you here today, what would they say to you about the efforts you are making in your life? What words of encouragement might they offer you? These practices which I have just offered to you Although still marginalized by the dominant ideas in Western medical discourse, invites us to challenge the advocacy of severing ties with those who are deceased. Those of us who are bereft have a host of life stories, of memories, of experiences and time shared with the deceased. And this can be used to craft a future in which these stories continue to feature prominently in our lives. I think it's really important to remember that remembering does not relegate the deceased to the past, but opens possibilities for me, for you, to recognize our, to recognize our loved ones as an ongoing part of our lives. I'd like to end with an excerpt from John O'Donoghue's poem, For Grief. Gradually, you will learn acquaintance with the invisible form of your departed. And when the work of grief is done, the wound of loss will heal, and you will have learned to wean your eyes from that gap in the air and be able to enter the hearth in your soul where your loved one has awaited your return all the time. Thank you.